Welcome to At The Table, the podcast for the SBC Women's Leadership Network. Join the conversations of a collaborative community of women from the Southern Baptist Convention family who long to connect, engage, and encourage one another as they serve and lead in diverse ways to impact the kingdom of God. Pull up a chair, grab your favorite drink, and listen in on what God is doing through women of the SBC. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of At The Table. It's Jackie King, and I am so, so excited for today's episode and my friend that I get to introduce you to. Man, you are going to be just encouraged. You'll probably cry. I mean, there's just so much in my sweet friend Ruth Ripken's story that we get to share today. And so officially, I want to welcome Ruth to the show. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today at the table. Well, Jackie, I am thrilled to get to connect with you and the ladies that you connect with. Um, This is an exciting day for me. Uh, I'm so, man, I've wanted to have you on forever and then COVID (laughs) hit. And so um, even before we hopped on and started recording, even just hearing your voice, just um, there's just such a sweet soul sister connection, I think, with you. And so I'm really excited um, to catch up with you, but then also to just share your story. So Why don't we get started just with a little bit of just kind of the casual get to know you. Tell me where you're recording from today, about your family, those kind of fun get to know you questions. Well, I am recording from a wonderful, wonderful oasis that God has provided for us (laughs) in the middle of Shelby County, Kentucky. Um, We bought a piece of property a long time ago when we lived in Africa and, uh, In the last year, God's allowed us to build a house. And so I'm sitting in the middle of woods looking at deer and our sweet little chickens and just having a good time. (laughs) I love it. Okay, so are you a deer lover? Like, do you love looking at deer? I love looking at deer. (laughs) It's a new thing for me. You know, coming from Dallas, like we don't have deer. We don't really have pretty livestock or any of that, you know. (laughs) Right, right. So in our time now in Arkansas, I mean, we'll be driving and I'm just always looking for deer. I think they're so pretty. And then I get really sad when my Facebook feed during deer season is a bunch of them (laughs) killed. And so... um, I told Josh, like, I would not be surprised if eventually one day we get to end up with some land and I'm going to buy all the deer corn and just lay it out every morning for them so that they'll come visit my house. So. And that's exactly <laughs> what my husband does. I love it. I love it. I'm a little jealous right now, to be honest with well, you. Welcome so. anytime. <laughs> so why don't you tell me a little bit, just kind of briefly, did you grow up in the SBC? Like, are you, how are you connected now? Um, just growing up, what did your story look like? Well, my dad, my husband believes that the picture in the dictionary for Kentucky Baptist is my family. <laughs> I am, I was born and read um, SBC. I was born while my dad was a student at Southern Seminary. And then we, he pastored around Kentucky. And then um, in the last few years, uh, we've gotten to serve overseas as a, a Southern Baptist missionary. And so we're really um, just so grounded in SBC. I love it. So it is in your blood, um, even from <laughs> from being born. I love it. Um, even as you told the story, it kind of sounded like it was in the middle of the seminary, you know, like you were born there and just started life there. So I love it. Um, and then tell me about Nick. Tell me about your husband. How did you guys meet your love story there? Yeah. Um, 
Now, Nick was not born uh, in a family that was religious at all. In fact, he came to faith when he was 18 years of age in a cheese factory in a county about 100 miles from where I grew up. And um, God just transformed his life. And uh, through some great friends of his who encouraged him to go to a Baptist school, we met at a Baptist college in Kentucky, Georgetown College. And uh, it was a, an up-and-down relationship through college because he just couldn't figure out who I was. Because <laughs> from, a, from a young age, I wanted to do missions. Mm. And that was just totally foreign to him. He had never thought about um, that you would leave Kentucky and go anywhere. Mm. And uh, so our story merged as we began to build that relationship. And uh, I'll go on and share uh, Nick met a missionary at Georgetown who came to speak to us, and uh, he was from Thailand. He had served in Thailand for many years, and when he talked to Nick about missions, the world opened up to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, one of the things I love that he shares is that he knew that I was going to do missions whether he did them or not, and uh, a lot of girls were willing to you know, date him and go out with him and do things. But it wasn't that they were going to do something for the Lord. They were just going to do it with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wanted a wife who was willing to to go whether he went or not. And mm-hmm. and that's who I was. I love that. Because, um, you know, it kind of, at least more often than I have heard, um, is that it's the opposite way, you know, that women are kind of coming into what their husband um, and their profession and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So I love even just the example and the challenge that kind of came with, like, I know what God has for me and the path that he has kind of laid out. So kind of rewind a little bit because you mentioned that even as a little girl, you just had this drive for mission. So how did that start? Like, how did God really start to birth that within your own heart? And as you grew up, up and then clearly, you know, you hit college and you still knew uh, this is this is where I'm going. So yeah. tell me a little bit about what that looked like. Well, in our church um, where my dad was pastor, we had uh, the group called GAs, Girls yes. in Actions. Yes. And that's where I learned about missions. Now, I learned about it at my home also because my parents talked about missions uh, we met missionaries. They came to our house. They ate dinner with us. And so I was always around that. But it was in GAs that I began to put the pieces together and realize that, um, you know, this is what people do. And the idea that people had never heard about Jesus, just as a little girl, I could not understand that because Jesus was so much a part of my life. and. Um, So I went to GA camp, and at nine years old, I met a missionary from China, and um, she just made me say, God, this is what I want to do. And so as a nine-year-old, I said, yes. I shared it with my parents and shared it with my church. As a 12-year-old, I wrote a paper about Africa in school, and that's when I said, okay, I've got it all lined out. I'm going to be a missionary and I'm going to Africa. (laughs) And, uh, you know, 
in school, people would say, um, what are you going to do when you grow up? You know, that whole idea. And I would say, I'm going to be a missionary in Africa. And they would go, yeah, right. And uh, as a junior in college, I got to go to Africa as a summer missionary. And that's when God said, this is what I want you to do. So it was a journey of, of, of starting kind of naive. But then the reality was, um, as a junior in college, when I got there, I just saw that this is what I wanted to do. And what God did for me that summer was help me see, am I willing to go no matter what? Or do I have to wait till I get married? Mm -hmm. And, um, And God said, I need you to be obedient to me first. And once I kind of put that behind me and said, yes, Lord, I want to be obedient no matter what. um, Then that's when Nick uh, came more into my life. And he and God assured me that um, we were going to get to do this together. Well, and I kind of want to go back because we're definitely going to talk a lot about your time on the field here in a second. But I think one of the things that kind of stands out as you're sharing your story is the faithfulness of, um, I don't want to say just ordinary or regular, you know, but that GA leader or your parents Hmm. sitting around um, the table and inviting missionaries in. Um, Just those even... um, local church on the ground, just trying to be faithful in their community and within their local church that really helped to spark this love for missions, love for the gospel, and even an example, even for a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old, you know, like to be able to foster some of that and talk about it and have an open dialogue to where those moments are very key moments to where you then follow God, you're obedient to him, and then you're a leader and an encourager. And I mean, just all of these things to missionaries literally all over the world. And as I was thinking about uh, recording today and just being excited, it kind of hit me. And I thought, you know, I was a GA girl too. And we would have those cards and we would study the missionaries, you know, we're all over. Mm -hmm. And it kind of made me wonder, I wonder if we ever prayed for you. You know, I wonder if we ever um, had your card on our uh, refrigerator, you know, and just the the beauty of community that I think comes with our tribe and with the SBC and even just the faithfulness of those people that are serving in local churches that are sharing about the gospel, sharing about the mission of Jesus Christ and how we get to be a part. Like it changes lives and not only the life that's in front of you, but then those that you get to minister to. So I really want to encourage you, especially if you're listening today and maybe you're just a Sunday school teacher, you know, for little kids or youth or you work in a college ministry. I mean, there's so many things that God is using you for to shape and mold and encourage young women and young men for the gospel. So uh, it's just, it's really cool. And I really do, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a way to be able to look back and be like, okay, these are who was highlighted, you know, like those years that I was in there. But I love it. And I know it was a time in my life that was really encouraging and formidable for me as well. So if you are in those roles, we want to hear you to keep going, cheering you on to keep going. And, you know, Jackie, I think about those ladies that were so faithful to be there on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. And we were rowdy little girls. We (laughs) laughed a lot and all that. But they were so good to be faithful and obedient. And I think you're, I I, I agree. I hope I'm encouraging um, some young women to step out there and love on 
young people. Mm-hmm. Um, you never know what God's getting ready to do in their lives. Yes, absolutely. You know, and I think a lot of us, um, and I've heard it over and over of just, well, I can't go to Africa, you know, and those kind of things that I think it just opens up that part of the story where you don't necessarily have to be the one whose feet hit African soil, mm-hmm. but you can hate, like literally change the dynamic and the narrative and the story of someone and just showing them Jesus and showing them other stories and walking alongside them as they dream and try to be obedient with Jesus. So I just, I love that. And I love that you um, really kind of point that out for us. So, okay, here's um, where I'm really excited just to get into your story. So let's fast forward a little bit. You are in Africa. You and Nick are serving um, you have a book and a movie even called The Insanity of God that really kind of traces your story of not only the highs of getting to watch God move, but definitely some hard lows, some really hard lows. So why don't you share a little bit just about what was it like with your time there? What are some of the big lessons that you learned? Although that's a very <laughs> kind of <laughs> easy question to a really hard answer. So I'll just give it to you and you share Um pieces of your story. Okay. I'll take 36 years and scratch (laughs) it down (laughs) into some nuggets. Um, I think the the story that I I, I always start with is what happened when we got to Malawi. We took a five-year-old and a three-year-old and we got off the plane in this country in East Africa. And in my mind, from reading all those missionary biographies that I had read, I was going to plant myself in this country. I was going to spend my the rest of my life there. And uh, what I found was uh, God had a different story for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, we got to Malawi. We were learning language. I, I had a miscarriage almost immediately. I, we, I found myself pregnant after we'd been there four months. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick's mother died after we were there four months. And all of a sudden, I realized if I wasn't spending and grounding myself in the Lord, uh, this wasn't going to be a rosy adventure that God was getting ready to teach us some important lessons. And uh, we were there about a year and a half and started getting really sick with malaria. And uh, Nick was taken to the hospital. And um, the doctors pretty much said, if you don't get out of this malaria area, um, you're not going to survive. And they jokingly said, do you want to see Jesus? And we said, well, sure. And they said, well, if you don't get out of here, you're going to see him really soon. And uh, so what we did, um, it was hard for me because in my mind, I had put my roots there so deep that I wasn't allowing God to say, I've got something else for you. Mm -hmm. Um, But a dear friend of ours who served with us said, remember, serving God's not a matter of location. It's a matter of obedience. Mm -hmm. And that's when God just imprinted that in my heart, because now at 36 years later, and we've moved 35 times, Location isn't the important thing, but obedience is. Mm. We left Malawi, went to South Africa, and uh, another lesson we had to learn was about racism because we moved to South Africa during apartheid. And if you know anything about South Africa, you know that 
apartheid has been um, just the historical shape shaper of that whole country as they've dealt with the racism that was just part of their foundation and uh, the blacks and the coloreds and the Indians and the whites all living in the same location but never interacting with each other and we were there right as Nelson Mandela was released uh, from prison and all of that and God helped us once again learn how to live in a, a location where hatred and racism were reality. Mm. Um, looking back now, we see that we needed that as we went to believers in persecution because racism is also a foundation for persecution globally. Um, and so God wanted us to learn a little bit more before we went into um, these places where uh, following Jesus costs people a lot. And uh, so we left South Africa after having our third son and moved to Kenya with the idea of going into Somalia. And it was in Somalia that we saw um, just the, the depravity of man. We were there during um, the war, the famine, the the, the total uh, dying of children. We were usually burying about 20 babies um, a morning that had not survived during the night. Wow. And um, just things that, as a little girl, I would have never imagined. Even seeing pictures of starving children on TV just wakes you up, but seeing it in person really wakes you up. Mm. Um, and so we tried to figure out how do you keep people alive, but how do you share the gospel when they're so anti-faith uh, in Christ that being friends with you can cost them their lives? Mm. And um, so we lived in Kenya and would go in and out. Nick and I never went in together into Somalia because we didn't want to leave our children without both parents. And we knew that the reality could be that one of us would be killed um, because it was just a war zone. And uh, going into war zones is not something you do uh, blindly. And uh, so we did that. And then... Um, we never realized that what we were doing. And I think something that will help um, those of you listening and those your friends, Jackie, is that you were sending us people to work with us. Mm-hmm. And suddenly we had been um, we had been the only people going in and out of Somalia. and then all of a sudden we were responsible for these workers that you were sending us, especially nurses and doctors. And people who could uh, distribute food and and go into refugee camps and help people who needed um, medical help. And so being responsible for people, it really does shift your um, shift your focus. Yeah. Suddenly you realize you are responsible for these people. And we had people say to us, you know, you're taking these people into a dangerous place. And if they're killed, it's going to be your fault. Mm-hmm. And we had to back up and say, they're not coming because of us. They're coming because their love for the Lord 
and their desire to see this 10 million population people group who don't know Christ. And so I think that's something that we take very, very seriously. And sending, I think if the church really grasps what it means to send, they will um, they will be even more uh, on their knees praying mm-hmm. and even more aware of what the, the people they are sending are doing and wanting to partner with them. And maybe if the church thinks about what it is to sin, they will take care of their people on the field even better. Mm. Um, I think I think I'll, I'll just go on and share. We things had gotten really really bad. Um, we'd had just some horrible uh, situations of 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 trying to get people in and out um, of the country. We did, there were no airplanes that flew there were no uh, cell phones there was no way to communicate except through a radio so things were very very desperate and um, I, I went into my husband and I just said you know Nick God has has seen us through but Satan continues to attack us in every area except our marriage and our family and I said, I just fear that that's about to happen. And we prayed together, asking God to just put a, a wall of protection around us. And um, it was on Easter Sunday morning. And uh, our 16-year-old son, he had just turned 16, woke up with a horrible asthma attack. And um, he died that morning on Easter. And... Um, I stood in the hospital, and those verses I had learned as a little GA were the things that kept me strong through those days. Um, God's people surrounded us with love. Our Muslim staff um, took care of us. In fact, one of them walked five days to come to be with us um, for, for our son's uh, memorial service. Um, they were our boys were in a boarding uh, in a school right there in Nairobi, Kenya, and uh, the school the students just loved on us, and um, it was it was one of those experiences I, I never want to live again, but it was also one of those experiences that we saw God show up, um, and He came in a powerful way. Um, so yeah, I think. Those are all the lessons that God was putting together to that point because he knew what the next chapter was going to be and how desperately we were going to need all those things he put in our story up to that point. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you've shared so much and I'm even getting teary just hearing again just the story of you losing your son Um, and even how your story started in Africa, you know, with so much loss and hard and that you kept going. So I think as you share your story and even um, the part where y'all split up, you and Nick, and you would go individually and just those conversations that you two would have to where we don't want to leave our kids without both parents, you know, I mean, like that is unfathomable, I think, for a lot of us, especially those that maybe haven't been overseas, you know, and just all of the comforts that we have here in the West and in America. And so 
it makes me kind of wonder, like, what did your time with the Lord look like in those days? I mean, just how did he sustain you? What did that look like? Just that wrestle with the Lord and even for you to be able to day after day through some really big losses still keep going because I think for many of us, I think for like it, just hearing it would just be how, how did you keep going? How did you foster taking the hard and taking um, just death and the things that the enemy was throwing at you guys and wrestle that out with the Lord to keep going? And I know you mentioned, you know, those scriptures that you put in your heart, but I don't know. Can you share a little bit more of just what did that look like? Yeah. Um, During the first part of the years that we were in Somalia, um, the Bible came to life, the Old Testament. Um, Those verses in Ezekiel that talk about my sheep were scattered over all the high mountains and over all that area. My sheep were scattered because there was no shepherd. And all of a sudden, for us and our team, that verse became real. Because you see it being lived out. Um, these nomadic people who have no shepherd. And just that they've never heard. And the thought that they are lost um, just drove us back into God's word mm-hmm. for strength and for help. Um, I'm one of those people that has, uh, I have to have a quiet time in the morning. And I have to have a holy spot for that quiet time. <laughs> I don't know about, I, I think probably a lot of people do, yeah. but I would all, I always, no matter where we have lived, um, what hotel room we're in, I, I, I'll go in and I find that's where I'm going to meet God in the morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the neat things about this house that we built is um, I have a prayer room. Uh, Nick was determined that we were going to have a room that I could use as my prayer room. So I now have my holy spot right here. Um, But yeah, but I think back to your question about what did my quiet times look like? What did my time with the Lord? Um, God's word came to life. Mm -hmm. After our son's death, um, I, uh, I pretty much was devastated. And my quiet time consisted of getting up in the morning. I tried to keep doing that, going to the, the chair that I normally went to, um, and I would open up God's Word, especially to the Psalms, and I'd read one verse, and of course I would just start crying and screaming mm-hmm. out to God, help. Mm-hmm. And so, but I made myself continue to do that because I knew that God would show up if I continued to just be at the bottom of myself and allow him to take over. Um, And he did. Um, Those verses that I had hidden in my heart as a little girl, um, they did come back to me. And slowly God began to take me back into his word where those verses were. Um, A lot of times when I was totally empty, I had to just let other people carry me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this is a really neat thing that we've learned as we've gone to believers in persecution is they too reach the point where they can't carry themselves. 
And that's the responsibility of those of us who are their brothers and sisters mm-hmm. on the other side of the globe. It's our responsibility to carry them when they can't carry themselves. And uh, Nick and I like to share when we share in churches that um, even Jesus couldn't carry his cross all the way to Calvary and he needed help. And our brothers and sisters around the world um, need us to carry them and our, our, our missionaries need us to carry them. And I'm sure, Jackie, your friends who are listening, there are times when they need somebody to carry them. And so I pray that they'll allow us to be that for them or, um, or they'll find someone who can help carry them. Yes, I think it goes back to some of those things that we often kind of just put to the side because they seem so elementary, like treasuring the word in your heart, doing a daily um, time or office with the Lord, you know, a quiet time to where you are seeking out his word, that you're praying um, and praying hard things, like actually doing the wrestle with him, um, not just checking off a box. Um, And then the beauty of community. And I love just knowing you, how much you are a leader of leaders and encourager to leaders. And that even for those at the top, you know, that are leading teams and driving just so much good work, that there are seasons to where you have to lean into the people of God. And you've got to be aware of who God has provided to lift weary hands. And so I think it's really um, sobering. I think that uh, you even mentioned humility, you know, and and coming to the word, coming to the Lord and saying, I want you to use even the feeble parts, the broken parts, the parts that we don't understand of our stories and use it to your glory. And that is exactly what you're doing. Um, and so and I know I think a lot of your story and just so much of the loss and the hard has birthed and and used that passion to where you do come alongside churches to help point toward the persecuted church. You know, it's something that we kind of over here, I think, tend to just out of sight, out of mind. We don't want to come to that reality. And so what I love about you is that you bring those stories, you bring that hard for the church and the charge to take part in that, that it is our responsibility to help lift and love and pray. So give us some practical things that we can do for those that are being persecuted right now that are in seasons just like you were in what are things that we can do as a part of our tribe in the SBC as brothers and sisters in Christ what are ways that we help well number one of course is pray Mm -hmm. um but I think often we don't know what to pray or how to pray but our brothers and sisters have said to us please don't pray that we get out of our suffering or that we're delivered from our suffering, pray that we'll be obedient through our suffering. And so as I pray, I I pray that they will know that I'm praying for them. I pray that they will know that uh, the church in the West has not forgotten them, that they're not forgotten. And then I pray that they will be obedient and joy-filled through their suffering. And then I turn that prayer back on myself. And I pray those very same things for myself um, because the thing that believers in persecution want us to know from the West is the best way we partner with them is by witnessing and sharing our faith with those around us. Um, That's why they're suffering is because they have lived out their faith and they say that the best way we can be their 
their encouragers, uh, their partners, is to live out our faith in front of our neighbors across the street, to the refugees in our, our communities, um, to those who are unlovable and love, unloving in our world. And, uh, and then they say, then we are, are both victorious because they remind us that we're not a church living in persecution and a church living in a free country like America. We're just the church. And as we suffer, we suffer together. And as we're victorious, we're victorious together. So mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest way that they have encouraged us uh, is to remember that we are a body. And uh, and as a body, uh, we can carry each other. Yes. I love that reminder, too, that it's not a separate church. It's not a separate movement, that it is all completely together, side by side, for the sake of the gospel, like Paul Mm -hmm. says. So, um, And what a joy and a privilege to join in that mission together, to help um, hold hands and to pray and to hear stories and then tell those stories, just like we're doing this morning, because I think that glorifies God in so many cool ways. And it opens the door for God to move in so many different lives. So we are running out of time, Ruth. And like I said before, I said, this could be like a four hour podcast, I think, because there's just so much that we can glean from you. Um, there's so many stories that I think you could share. But as we're wrapping up, you know, our nation, our country, our world right now is just kind of in those hard seasons. And one of the things that you said when I heard you teach, um, it was something along the lines of that Jesus is worth it, that he is absolutely worth it, no matter how much is lost here in this world and on this planet, that there is so much more that we gain through him, another uh, (laughs) Paul saying. So what would kind of your final encouragement be to our listeners today, whether they're in a hard season, whether they've had tremendous loss, they're walking out of loss, um, what would your final words be to them? Yeah, I think um, the the thing that we do say is Jesus is worth it. And we learned that not so much from our experience, although it has been worth it. Uh, I wish I could start all over. Uh, I would do it again in a heartbeat. But Believers in persecution remind us that it is worth it um, because our our eternity has been written. And uh, I guess if I could say anything is stay in the story um, because you don't know what God's going to do with you and with what's happening in your life. Um, he will make it all fit together. And as we look back on it, We'll see all the neat ways that he prepared us for what we're doing right now. Um, So stay in the story. I love that. I might make a shirt out of that. Like stay (laughs) in the story. I love that. And can you imagine like if you would have stopped in college, you know, because you didn't know uh, how it was going to play out or, you know, if Nick and that marriage and, you know, everything or if you would have lived through just that hard and the miscarriage and the loss of a family member and being an ocean away. Um, if you would have just said, okay, I'm done, you know, like, I mean, just the encouragement, I think from somebody that has stewarded your story so well and walked through and didn't quit, I am encouraged. And so Ruth, I appreciate you. I appreciate your obedience and your sweet, humble, 
uh, just fellowship of the Lord. It is challenging to me in the best way. It's encouraging to so many of us. And I am just really thankful for you and your story and you not quitting. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, goodness. Like I said, soul sisters, um, I'm just, I'm really thankful for you. And so I am going to make sure you do not want this to be your last connection with Ruth and Nick. And so in the show notes, I'm going to put information to their book and even the movie that is based off of the book, Insanity of God, as well as their website for their ministry. I hope that you would maybe consider bringing them to your church, to your women's ministry. There is just so much goodness when they get to come and encourage believers and kind of pull back a little bit of what maybe is not seen or recognized real regularly with the persecuted church. And I promise you that you and your people will be better for it. And so I'm going to make sure to put all of that in there so that you can connect both with Nick and Ruth. And again, Ruth, thank you so much for today. Thank you for sharing your story and for being an example for all of us. Blessings to you and each woman in the that's listening. Thank you. And thank you again, as always, for joining us. And we can't wait to see you next week for another episode of At the Table. You have been listening to At the Table, the podcast for the SBC Women's Leadership Network. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes and share this with your friends and other women in the SBC. They'd also love to connect online with you at sbcwomen.net for more resources and for you to join the conversation with women all across the globe who are serving in kingdom mission. Thanks for listening.